Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. You know, when we first began hearing about influencer marketing, it conjured up images of beautiful people who happened to be showing up with their favorite clothing, shoes, beverage, vacation spot, or even their toothpaste. Today, we know that influencer marketing is so much more, and businesses are taking note, although it may not be as easy as attaching a celebrity face to a product. And it always doesn't also have to be marketed to consumers. B2B, or business-to-business marketing, is also embracing influencers. And today, we're going to dive into some of the nuances of B2B influencers. My guest today is the Vice President of Imprella Communications, In addition to finding innovative ways to showcase the exceptional work of her team, she drives strategy for influencer and content programs for midsize and enterprise B2B clients. She's been named as one of the 50 women to follow in marketing by Search Engine Journal and has been featured in the Huffington Post as one of 13 marketing leaders. She's an influencer marketing expert, and as a public speaker, she's been presented. She's been presenting uh, at multiple events and conferences, including the American Marketing Association, Content Marketing World, Digital Summit, Marketing Profs, and many others. So now, welcome to the podcast, Ashley Zegman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Um, I've been listening to a few of the other uh, from other episodes from previous guests this week, and I'm just so honored to be here chatting with you and be alongside. Uh, so many other people that I respect. So I'm, I'm stoked. It's going to be fun. awesome. Awesome. The feeling is mutual. You know, actually there's a, there's a particular question that comes up that was never planned question of, of my podcast, but it seems to be kind of a recurring thing because I always get an interesting story behind it. And the question is, you know, I found that many marketers, myself included, did not set out to become marketers. Our background or our path was not to become a marketer. So what's your story? Uh, I would say that I definitely did not have a linear path by any stretch of the imagination. Um, After I graduated high school, I went to art school in San Francisco for a while, but I just was sitting in class day after day, drawing still lifes, and I just didn't feel like I was getting any actual experience. So I pursued a few internships in San Francisco, and then cost of living in San Francisco, as it does, caught up with me. And so I, you know, I had a couple years stint where I was a bartender, a legal secretary. Um, I worked for Budweiser um, in their accounts receivable department and just did a lot of different things. And when I moved to Minneapolis, I didn't have a job and I found a job doing like accounts receivable to help clean up books for the small business. And I figured my mom's an accountant. I could totally do this. Uh, turns out could not made it way worse, made it so much worse. Um, But actually, there was a sales and marketing agency next door, and the owner of that company had invested in the small company I was working 
with. And, you know, he'd asked me to just kind of keep an eye on things, let him know how things were going. And I said, I'll do that if you give me a marketing job, right? Like, I don't care what marketing job it is. Mm-hmm. I want it, right? Like, this is something I'm super interested in that I want to pursue. Um, so then, you know, it was it was a lot of years and still is, you know, learning, being around as many, you know, surrounding myself by as many smart people as I can, um, trying things that were new and different and just learning on the job. Um, you know, and over the last 10 years or so, I feel like I've been given some amazing opportunities to work with some of the best and brightest in the industry, um, some of the top B2B tech companies in the world. Um, definitely, you know, 21-year-old me did not see this being my path, but I'm so happy that it was, even though it was it was a tough path, right? Um, so yeah, that's just a little background. <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, because I think what we're seeing is that just like any other technology, marketing moves and changes so fast you can get into it. And even if you had planned to be a marketer, things have changed so much that someone who's only been in it for three to five to 10 years can know as much as somebody who planned on it 20 years ago, because what's happening today is what's happening today. And that's where you got what you have to know, right? Yep. And I think marketing, like you said, it changes so quickly that you have to, you have to want to learn constantly. You can't have a set idea of what marketing is because it could change tomorrow. Right. Which is why I kind of feel bad for some of the the kids today that get communications or even social media degrees, because (laughs) they spend all of that time learning how it, you know, how to utilize these platforms and how to be a marketer. But by the time they get into the real world, it's different. Right. So I I feel thankful for some of the the struggles and the odd little side streets I took to get here because I learned something from all of it. Absolutely. I mean, if you figure college, a four year education in college, if you're focusing on one thing, Four years later, four years in technology age is a long time. <laughs> Things change. It's like 40 years. <laughs> it's like 40 years. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so something that I wanted to really ask you about, and it's something that I've been around, but haven't really dove into it much. I want to learn more about B2B influencers. So first of all, just tell me what your definition of a B2B influencer is and how maybe even that's changed or how it's different from a common B2C influencer. And yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Maybe let's call this a working definition, right? Because okay. it could change very okay. quickly, right? Point taken. Um, I think from a B2B perspective, it's really about the practice of partnering with industry experts, true experts uh, that align with brand POV um, and are interested in collaborating on programs or campaigns or things that offer mutual value. And mutual value doesn't always have to mean monetary value. Mm-hmm. It could be something else, right? It could be that it's a brand that you want to be associated with as an influencer. It could be that, you know, you you're looking to build connections within that sort of that sort of company to increase your own exposure and credibility. So I think there's there's obviously opportunities for paid influencer engagements. And I think they're becoming more and more popular. But I don't think that that is at the epicenter necessarily of B2B. When you look mm. at B2C, um, I'd say the big difference is, is that in B2B, we're not looking to borrow influence from individuals. We're looking to build it alongside them, right? So we're not mm. treating influencers as ads. A lot of B2B companies make that mistake um, mm. in trying to treat it that way um, just because they don't, they haven't spent a lot of time really understanding what makes it work and what makes it work well. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the big thing is like, we're not trying to borrow, we're trying to build alongside 
Excellent. That's interesting. Cause I hadn't, I hadn't seen it that way. I'm, I'm, that's interesting. So we're not trying to borrow from their celebrity or their, their audience. We're trying to build with them. It's interesting because I, when I first thought about B2B influencers, I thought about, well, I'll use myself as an example. I speak a lot on marketing automation. And one moment I might be talking about how great Marketo is. The next moment it could be HubSpot. It could be Pardot because I know all three of them. And I've been involved in lots of sales cycles of people, companies who wanted to buy one of these. And we had to go through all the sales pitches of all these different companies. And I could tell you the pros and cons of three or four market automation platforms. So I thought, am I an influencer? Because these companies perhaps could benefit to have someone like me who is who is actually causing them to receive sales when I'm not even, I'm not attached to any of them, but yep. yet I will definitely tell a company this, you know, the HubSpot's best for you or Pardot's best for you. That was my perception of what a B2B influencer was, but I'm seeing it a bit differently now from what you told me, because it's not so much my influence or my audience. It's, you say it's partnering with someone to build influence. Yeah. And I think there's very, there's a lot of validity to the, what you just described as well, because especially influencers that are a little more tool agnostic, but are knowledgeable about them, those mm. are the people that people trust, right? So mm -hmm. if you were just out there pushing one tool over another, um, and again, that happens and that's part of influencer marketing and will always be part of it. But the, I think the fact that even you are, you know, in this scenario, this is the best tool for you. In this scenario, this is the best tool for you. That is some of like the best word of mouth that any of these companies could ask for, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's a combination of the two. Like, I absolutely think that that's part of influencer marketing. Um, but then there's something to be said about growing things together and, you know, having influencers that maybe have a lot of interest in the product like you do as it relates to marketing automation. So if Marketo or Pardot or any of them were to reach out to you and say, hey, we're starting a new, you know, advisory board um, of users and power users. Do you want to be a part of this? Or we're looking for beta testers to give us an honest review on these sort of things. Um, I think that would be a good opportunity for any of them uh, to seek someone like you out and start engaging you on that sort of level as well. That's interesting. Maybe it'll happen one day. <laughs> <laughs> maybe after have, this podcast, who knows? Maybe so. I have been reached out to a lot of us uh, from some video companies and some creative companies because I do a lot of video and editing and you, you know live streams and everything. So that's already been, began to happen. So it'd be interesting to hear, see it happen in a more enterprise level for, you know, B2B uh, software type things. It'd be interesting. I think so, it's totally possible. We'll see. So tell me this. I mean, given that we now get the nuance of kind of how it works, what are brands doing good, a good job at utilizing B2B influencers? Um, some, still trying some to figure brands. It out. <laughs> so, yeah, some brands. I think one of the things that happens more often than not is that brands are looking for a shortcut. They see other companies having success with influencer marketing. They're like, let's turn that engine on. We're a well-known brand or we are a fairly well-known brand. Why wouldn't influencers want to work with us? So let's just kind of blanket blind, reach out to all of them and see like, you know, and work together. Right. But it's just, I think that's one of the key missing pieces is that, you know, again, as marketers, a lot of us know how to run campaigns. We know how to run ads, but we don't really know how to build relationships outside of our organization um, mm -hmm. in a way where there's there's trust, there's mutual respect, there's you know a, a desire to work together because you know these people and you trust them. Um, so again, like I think there's a lot of brands that do it really, really well. 
Um, but they're still in their infancy of what it could be. And then there's other brands that just try and take that shortcut and say, you know, we want short-term investment and, you know, a big reward or payout. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, if you want to have a long-term impact. Well, when you say short-term and relationship in the same sentence, that's already (laughs) a disaster. It's like, let's plug some influencers in here. This would be a good tactic, right? It's just, it's how it's treated. It's like, let's do some LinkedIn sponsored content or a Google ad. Is sort of how it's treated in a lot of scenarios. Yeah, that might work for shoes, but not so much for you know, enterprise software or you know industrial exactly. manufacturing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Definitely. So, what are some of the reasons? So, you mentioned that sometimes it's just a matter of we think we should do this, but are there any other reasons why brands should partner with B two B influencers? Um, totally. I think. Um, you know, and it's it's not necessarily a fit for every brand for every project, right? Like there's always going to be influential people or people with expertise, um, but there might not be a big enough pool of people at a certain point in time, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in more niche industries. So that, you know, it's something that should be, I think, on every company's roadmap, but just trying to make it, you know, square peg round hole d- just sometimes doesn't work. Um, When we talk about why to work with influencers, I think that ultimately trust plays the biggest factor in all this. We know that people don't trust brands and they sure as heck don't trust marketers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who are the people that they believe have an authentic and trustworthy voice, right? So when you go back to talking about your conversations around marketing automation, right? Like you are a trusted voice who people know are not just trying to hawk a product, right? Like you're giving real, um, your authentic opinion on those things. Um, and then I also think that working with the right, the right influencers being the key word in the sentence is that it can extend reach um, so that you can begin engaging with audiences that might be part of your target, but you didn't have access to before, right? Mm. You weren't on their radar, uh, so to speak. So I think those are two big opportunities. Um, and influencer marketing can address everything from top of funnel to bottom of funnel. It just depends on how you build the program, right? So part of that is identifying what influencer archetypes you use within a program. So do you want the super popular, you know, large following, large social following um, people, or do you want the niche experts, or do you want internal experts, or do you want customers and prospects? And I think the answer to that is all of them, right? A mixture of all of them is what helps address um, what type of content you're creating with them, and then ultimately what it is that you want your audience to do. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Mark Schaefer and he was, we, we touched this topic and he said one of the things he hates the most is the term evangelist because, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> he said, he hates, well, that, that was a note. Ding. Okay. So <laughs> Ding. evangelist, that, that, was, that was Mark. That was Mark saying, yes, you're right. I hate that word evangelist. It, it was Mark. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> because basically, you know, it kind of crosses the line sometimes with, with people thinking that it's an influencer. But an evangelist has an agenda. You know, he's biased to one particular thing. And as you were saying, it has to be someone that's that's neutral, right? Who has the, who's trustable, who's neutral, who you can trust that they're not trying to to sell something. Um, yep, yep. And a lot of bigger brands, um, because there are a lot of paid B two B influencer relationships that exist, and a lot of bigger brands don't want to work with an influencer who's worked for a competitor in the past or might currently be in some, in some form. But I think the thing that I always ask is why not, right? Like what's the harm in 
and having someone, you know, share about multiple brands. Like I, I get it from a, a more traditional marketing perspective, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're not trying to borrow the influence. Like I said, you're trying to build it alongside people. So why not? Why is there room for, for multiple brands? Right. Um, so, so I don't you, know. Just, you think a, a brand would want to, to stifle influence an influencer's voice for other brands while they're, I guess, under contract or working together? I mean, that's, that's literally written into contracts. Um, really? a lot I mean, it, of times it makes it, sense on the one hand, it makes sense because they're paying you to, I guess, be their evangelist, <laughs> unfortunately, yep. but at the same time, you may lose some of your credibility by becoming an evangelist. You know, I mean, going back to my scenario, I'd like to say that if I were, uh, if I were in a partnership with say HubSpot and I'm talking about and they, they approached me, approach me because I know HubSpot, I would want the freedom, even though this probably isn't how it works. I'd want the freedom to say, you know, this does not fit for you. HubSpot doesn't fit for you. Maybe some other brand does. I don't have to name the brand perhaps, but to say this does or doesn't work for you. In fact, I've had cases where even for companies that I work for myself and I was a part of the buying cycle, it was, this isn't HubSpot right now, you know, maybe later. And in fact, four years later, we did buy it. So it was like, you know, they were still there. I was still, I won't say an evangelist. I was still a fan and I still Mm -hmm. spoke highly of them. Um, And I've influenced purchases other than the company I worked for. And it comes back around, but it was always maintaining a neutral. I will tell you right now that none of them fit every particular situation. But uh, it's interesting to hear about the, the, the contract would actually have kind of a hush clause in it. I mean, if you ever need help negotiating, you just let me know. <laughs> I know my way around around those contracts. Um, but again, you know, if you if brands are looking for an evangelist, I just feel like they should be kind of upfront. Like, this is we want exclusivity. This is what this looks like, and and the terms of it should be a little bit different, right? And everyone should go into it eyes wide open, understanding the benefits and drawbacks of that sort of scenario as well, right? Like, I think there's a place for it. It's just a lot of brands tried to to force it a bit too much in a mm-hmm. way that you know the the influencers walk away not happy and the brand walks away not happy right so and the audience ultimately is the one that suffers so so have you ever ran into i mean how do analyst firms fall into this picture because i've been with companies who throw tens of thousands to get on you know, somebody's magic quadrant or somebody's graph or somebody's, you know, uh, hype cycle or something. I won't name those names, but you know who they, who they are. I know which ones you're talking about. Yep. <laughs> and um, that's basically asking for their influence. I mean, it's basically saying if we're on their graph and, you know, it's, it's always a um, pole position to get on the upper right corner of somebody's graph. And yep. the companies who do this know darn well that this means that people looking to buy from us will be influenced by this. And that is, that is B2B influence. How does that affect, is that on the disingenuous side of it or is just, that's just business? I mean, I think it's just business and, and I still think a lot of people don't realize what you just said, right? That Mm -hmm. (laughs) like how that works, how you, you know, and it's not every case, but like a lot of times how you get in the upper right quadrant, right, yeah. is because of that. And even just in working with analysts from some of these big firms, um, that's a much more complicated thing to unpack than um, consultants or people from other brands. Um, 
analysts are very closely guarded and there's a lot of rules and restrictions around working with them. Um, and there is typically payment required. Um, I don't know how that translates to, you know, if that experience in some way translates to whether or not they favor certain brands being on there. (laughs) The the listeners of this podcast range from people who are wanting to get into marketing to, to high end executives in marketing. And I want to tell to those who are just getting in and who don't know behind the curtain that you just spoke of. Yes. I can tell you upfront that companies who manage to buy more analyst hours to get more in-persons to, that even go as far as sponsoring an event, they are more likely to end up in favor on the quarterly or yearly chart of top vendors. Um, you know, when I first saw that, it blew my mind. I was like, really? This is, this is almost pay for play. You know, it's like you will never reach the top of their list if you don't hire their analyst, if you're not in their ecosystem of, of customers. And that's, it kind of kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth um, to where, you know, you're buying the influence. I mean, that's that's B two B influence at its core, most corporate level. I think. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, that said, though, there are a lot of a- analysts I've worked with from some of the larger, you know, brands that are great, right? That we haven't paid, that we've been able to have conversations with. But that's a whole different scenario, right? Than what you're yeah. talking about. So I think the analysts yeah. are a bit more innocent than the firms they work for. <laughs> they can be a lot more neutral. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll leave that there for those, for people to unpack where all that comes <laughs> <Right>. from. <laughs> and moving on. I don't and moving on before we end up getting the call from the, big, yeah, from the, from the big boys, you know, like, Hey, we, we were tapping your phone and realized you just talked about us. So we'll leave that alone. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some marketing attempts that may have failed, some, some influencer marketing. Now, we, we've seen those happening in B2B, I mean, B2C. I mean, there's one where, you know, an influencer, I think, was, I think it was mouthwash that she was influencing. And she had this perfectly made bed that she was laying on. It just happened to be a bottle of mouthwash on the counter next to, you know, on the, in the bedroom, which not the bathroom, but in the bedroom, which is kind of odd. That was a fail. It became a big internet meme of, you know, that was so fake and contrived that it, that wasn't real good influencer marketing. I don't know if B2B has gotten there yet, but do you know of any fails where B2B tried to do influencer marketing and didn't work out so well? I think it's more like, it's less of the, you know, Naomi Campbell posting, Hey, you know, a message with like, Hey, post this at this time in her message. Right. Or one mm-hmm. of the Kardashians doing something like that. I think it's less of that like blatant, whoops mm-hmm. um and more and more of a like sometimes certain ideas don't connect with the audience and then we don't have the results right um mm-hmm. so we don't get a lot of you know people coming out and saying well why did this influencer do this this is deplorable i can't believe this um there's there's not a lot of that but there is a lot of like oh that didn't quite hit the mark right like mm-hmm. that didn't that didn't you know especially when you're looking at doing video and audio or in person events or virtual events which is more of our mm-hmm. reality right now um those sort of things are are a bit tougher right um so part of what you know we try to do um in my 7 8 years experience in b2b influencer marketing is make it as easy as possible for the influencers to look good and to help share the thing that they created Um, I think honestly, one of the biggest fails that I see is that people create something alongside influencers and then don't help them share it or tell them when it's live or give them something 
cool to help promote it. So mm. you don't just build it with influencers and people start flocking, right? You have to, the promotion is just as important as the creation in a lot of ways. So I know that's not like a total fail, but I think it is the, a failure on the part of marketers to not consider yeah. that when they're investing all this time and money and resources and, and working with outside, you know, experts. Well, you know, I think you nailed it though, because for business, the fail may not be an embarrassment or a meme. It could be just dollars were spent and it didn't work. It's a business fail, a marketing fail. And, and those happen. They're not as, they're not publicized, but you know it when the reports come out and when you try to prove your worth and the marketing effort you just did. So. Yep. And you can, and you know what, it's not hard to do. Like there are such small things that you can do that can have a big impact, even in terms of how you're tracking it and identifying which influencers are, you know, driving the most traffic or engaging the most people. And then, you know, sitting down and assessing and creating, you know, influencer scorecards, so to speak, to say like, this person is a great partner because of these four things. This other person is a phenomenal partner. Maybe they don't drive as much traffic, but they can go really, really deep on the topic and people are engaging with them and have questions for them. So like the, the promotion and measurement is critical. Um, and it's, it's often an afterthought, which I think is just such a bummer. <laughs> um, well, let's truly. dig deeper to that because, you know, a few years back you gave some tips for incorporating influencer marketing into a corporate marketing strategy. So continue. What are, what are some of those tips um, of how would you go about doing it? And then possibly some things that may have changed recently. Yeah, I think don't skip steps, right? Like don't try and jump right to the finish or, you know, run right to the finish line um, before you've been thoughtful about what you want to achieve with the program, because every program is designed a little bit differently depending on your, your brand, your industry, the types of influencers you want to work with, and ultimately what you want your ROI to be. So I think trying to just run to like, let's throw some influencers in the mix and see what happens um, is not the right thing to do. I think you can start small, but always be thoughtful every step of the way. And it really is, influencer marketing is a long game. It's not, it's not a short, you know, quick win um, to the point where a lot of the influencers I've worked with in the past seven, eight years are, you know, mentors and friends of mine now. And um, it's just, it's like having genuine relationships with people and, and having people on your team, whether it's an agency that you hire, or if a brand you're wanting to run it um, yourself, it's just like really find the right people who want to build relationships. Um, because so where, do you, you have where do you people, start? Do you start, do you start internally or do you start for people who use your product? Where, where do you start looking for an influencer? Um, I think the first step is, you know, who do you know that already either evangelizes or talks <laughs> talks well about your brand? Um, and then, you know, using tools like Tracker, like Analytica to identify, you know, who's even just mentioning your brand at all? Is it positive? Is it neutral? Is it negative? And, you know, who who follows them, right? What does their audience look like? Does their audience map to the audience that you want to reach or not? Yeah. Um so I think, you know, there's tools, obviously, um, that you can use, but then, you know, start with the low-hanging fruit. Um, and customers and prospects are such a great addition mm. to what you think of as more traditional influencers as well, because it really helps people see themselves in the content, in the struggle, right? Like, these are people with my similar title, my similar role, who are going through the same thing I am, right? Um, and it's also, you know, a great way to create stickiness with current customers and, it's a bit of an olive branch and a opportunity to create a relationship with a prospect as well. 
Awesome. Well, I'm going to pivot just a little bit yeah, from influencer marketing. Um, and I want to take a moment to thank you for including me in an article that you posted on Imprella. And the article was called Eight Make or Break Content Marketing Lessons from 2020. Um, in that article, you mentioned that before and during 2020, buyers began losing trust in brands. And we all saw brands attempting to be more relatable and authentic by pivoting to topics like inclusivity, diversity, safety because of the pandemic. Um, I think that now even those kind of seem a bit insincere. What do you think? So I love this question um, because it makes me reflect a little bit too, right? So I think I've even learned so much since that published, what, early this year or late last year. And um, when I think of this question, I think a lot of Katie Martell and the conversation she has about, you know, brands that are, as she calls them, woke washed or brand pandering. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's a lot of, I wish I would have gone deeper into what I was saying around that because there's a lot of companies that are pivoting to diversity, inclusivity, safety, but it's not part of their DNA, right? Mm -hmm. It like, it really isn't. So I think there's, and it's a dangerous way to, it's dangerous and harmful to the communities and the audiences that we're trying to serve, in my opinion. Um, because I think things like changing your logo to support Pride Month is a nice gesture, but what are you doing the rest of the year, right? Mm -hmm. And like, not just from a marketing perspective, but as as a company, is it part of what you talk about, what you try to help solve or support? Or I don't know. I just think that it it came to light that a lot of companies were trying to be. Um, they thought they were doing the right thing, but it actually in some ways was worse because it mm -hmm. wasn't genuine. I don't know. I just think we have a long yeah. way to go, all of us on that. Yeah. Um, so no, I think it's a super important topic. Katie talks about it a lot in a very powerful way. Um, I think she's creating a documentary about it as well. So I know it's interesting. <laughs> it is. And I, I look forward to that because I, I think I, I read the article as well. Um, I think a lot of companies in the past, companies could easily talk to talk the talk and not have to walk the walk. But in the days of, of social media and people, you know, always on social culture, you can't just talk the talk because someone will call you out within minutes. You know, someone within the company or used to work for the company will say they're not really like that. You know, they just did this because it was they needed content that day or they needed to do a new ad or they need to change a logo to to not upset a vendor or, you know, their company or whatever. So, yeah, it's it's tough. And I think we're all at a heightened level of sensitivity of looking to see, you know, is this real or not? Now, given we're marketers, so we look for things a little bit differently. We, we have a different scope of things we look at. Yeah. But I wish more people had that eye, in fact, because when we see something like that, we immediately wonder if this is real. You know, I've done research on companies going, hey, this is really interesting. In fact, I'll give you an example. I'll name a name. Procter & Gamble has, has some amazing content in the past year. And I'm like, wow, I was just moved by this video. I actually went and shared a video the moment I saw it. And I thought, wait a minute. Is this contrived? Is this real? Is Procter & Gamble backing, backing this up? Um, from what I could see, they're doing a pretty good job. But if I didn't find that, I would have felt offended by it. And for whatever little power I have, would have been less likely to, to, you know, purchase from Potter and Gamble, if that's even possible, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to clean your whole bathroom out to do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, 
So yeah, I, I love your your insight on that. Um, we're in a difficult time in terms of terms of that. So, wait, what were you gonna say? Oh no, I was just gonna say, you know, being in you know living in Minneapolis and the things that have uh, happened over here in the mm-hmm. last uh, couple of years, it's you you know I feel bad even being like in the suburbs and have of Minneapolis and having an opinion about it. But I think you know my group of friends and I and the people I work with have done you know as much research as we can to understand things, donated as much time and resources as we can, but it's still not enough, right? So I can't even imagine, you know, the brands that are so far removed from it, but it's such an important topic that, um, you know, people want to be connected to it. They just don't always know the right way to do it. There's a combination of that, not understanding how, um, but then also using these things as an opportunity to appear a certain way, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and as marketers, we have things to do. We have content to create. We have, we want to do things that are timely, um, on topic, on brand. And we're, we're, we have this push to create content. And sometimes that deadline comes before the research, which is, (laughs) which puts us in a bad situation. Yep. Totally agree. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we go, Ashley, please tell me, you know, what's new with you and where we can find you. Um, what's new with me? So personally, I'm in the process of buying a house. Um, as of yesterday, I've looked at 59 of them. Wow. So anyone else who is house hunting right now, I'm sure can, can <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I'm actually venturing on um, attempting to write my first book as awesome. well on the topic of B2B influencer marketing. I feel very um, grateful and thankful to have awesome authors within the marketing community supporting me in this and helping me along the way since they've done it before. Um, and I will be seeing you, I think, at Content Marketing World. I yes. heard that you're keynoting. Yes. I'm really excited about that. No pressure. Um, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> hey, you know what? You did the um, the video coaching last year, I believe, yeah. for Content uh-huh. Marketing World. It was awesome. I loved it. Um, Thank you. Took lots of notes while I was watching it. But yeah, I think that's, you know, I'm excited to travel again, um, see some of my favorite people, meet some new faces. So I know that's something I'm really looking forward to is being able to connect again. Me too. Me too. So yeah, I look forward to seeing you in September. Um, so once again, thanks to the listeners as well for joining. If you're listening to the podcast and want to see Ashley and I, video of the podcast and others are also available in the podcast section of contentmonster.com. Again, Ashley, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.